Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I'm not a crook. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan. Listening to Jim Paris Live, your source for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now your host, the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right, hello everybody. Welcome to the broadcast. I have to tell you, uh, doing a, a once-a-week broadcast, <laughs> even though it's just once a week, it can still be pretty darn stressful. Uh, we do have a great, great show lined up for you tonight, mostly thanks to our producer, Joy, who worked uh, diligently to resolve a problem that we had. So tonight we had scheduled to be with us for the entire broadcast, Dylan Howard, who's author of the uh, new huge uh, seller, Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales. So we got a phone call that he had the flu, was coming off of an international flight, I believe, from uh, Australia or something, and he was going to have to cancel with us. And so it was suggested maybe that one of the co-authors could come and join us instead, and that has been worked out. So joining us at the bottom of the hour, we're excited to have have him with us for the first time, is co-author James Robertson, and tonight's entire show is still going to be about Jeffrey Epstein, and I've got a lot of stuff to get into myself the first 30 minutes. So all goes forward, and tonight is our special episode here all about Jeffrey Epstein and just A to Z, everything about the case. And uh, I want to start with a little bit of news that I might be breaking here uh, for the first time. Uh, anywhere. I, I don't know that anybody has reported this yet, but I did reach out this week to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. And if you remember, back in August, our governor, Ron DeSantis, he uh, ordered that there be an investigation into the 2008 Jeffrey Epstein sweetheart deal. And if you remember, just two or three weeks before that, in July, Labor Secretary Alex Acosta who was at the time in 2008, he was the uh, the uh, U.S. attorney for the Southern District of Florida. So it was his decision to put his approval on that deal that kept the feds out of that deal and let Jeffrey Epstein settle with just the state of Florida and get that slap on the wrist deal where he had, I don't know, it was like a 13-month sentence where he was on release for 12 or 14 hours a day. It was just nonsense. So our governor ordered an investigation into that sweetheart deal. And uh, I find this really interesting. Um, I, I mentioned this on our last program, why I find it interesting, because I wonder why Alex Acosta felt that he needed to resign uh, just two weeks, three weeks before our governor made that announcement. I think there's a connection there. And I think there's there's something far bigger brewing than just that Alex Acosta uh, was railroaded or was pressured uh, by high, uh, you know, high priced attorneys uh, to go along with that deal. I don't know what happened, but I think it was 
really significant. And I think that is why Acosta resigned, because I think there's a lot more to come. Now, here's what the news is. I reached out this week to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, and I wanted them to comment on the record uh, for me what the status was of this investigation into the 2008 deal, the investigation ordered in August by our governor. And uh, I received a reply back from them, and they said, it is an open and it is an active investigation. So they're not going to comment. They're not going to provide any details. But I did find it significant, and I did find it interesting that it is open and it is active. I don't know how long an investigation like that should take or would take. I really don't know. But I think it's one of the lesser covered aspects of this whole deal, that there is this investigation by Florida, our Florida Department of Law Enforcement, which is our state law enforcement agency. This is not just a local police doing this. This is our state law enforcement agency, the FDLE, ordered by the governor to investigate the sweetheart deal in 2008 with Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, and by the way, uh, if you do any research into this case at all, any, I mean, whether it's that you grab the Dylan Howard book, which I highly recommend, Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales, or if you want to go on YouTube, you can watch the 60 Minutes Australia report about this case, which is just riveting. Um, you will not believe the deal that Epstein got. If, if you have any understanding at all about this case, the tiny, tiny charge that he was given, which was uh, solicitation uh, of prostitution to someone that was underage, one single charge. And I mean, there were so many women young women that came forward. He faced possibly decades and decades and decades in prison and ended up getting like a one year and one month sentence where he was able to have day release privileges. He got his own private wing of the Palm Beach County Jail. There, You just cannot wrap your brain around this, the deal that he got. And I talked about it last week, about the attorneys that were involved, Ken Starr representing Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, we also have Alan Dershowitz, who was involved representing Jeffrey Epstein. And I still hold on to this one comment that still haunts me, which is that uh, Alex Acosta is on the record saying that the reason that he went along with the Epstein deal in 2008 was that he was told by his higher-ups that Jeffrey Epstein was involved with the intelligence community, um, back off, it was above uh, his pay grade, something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing. I want to know about that. I want to know if Alex Acosta was told to back off, who told him to back off, was it in fact true? Is it in fact true that Epstein had a connection to the intelligence community? Um, and I want to talk a little bit about that tonight in my first few minutes before we have our guest on at the bottom of the hour. But just to confirm this with you, I did get uh, in touch with the FDLE this week, and they did confirm active and ongoing. 
the investigation ordered by the Florida governor into the Jeffrey Epstein 2008 sweetheart deal. Now, other news that has come out this week, the missing footage, the so-called missing footage that the uh, prosecutors claimed no longer existed of the attempted suicide. So remember, we had the actual suicide, and I put that in air quotes. And in the actual suicide, there was no video footage. But we also had no video footage of the attempted suicide that took place a week or two earlier. So the news this week is that the missing footage of the attempted suicide that was supposedly, you know, gone, no longer available, whatever the the excuse was, that is now available again. (laughs) The mystery continues. So that footage of the attempted suicide is back available again. It's we're not seeing it. It's we're just being told that it's available again. And by the way, my view on this is whether there was a suicide or not doesn't really change most of this case in terms of, you know, all the people that are involved, the conspiracy of silence, all of the powerful people that are, you know, going to have their names uh, exposed here if this court case gets unfiled, all of that. Uh, But it is an interesting twist to the case, the potential of Jeffrey Epstein not killing himself, but in fact um, being murdered in prison. We, We don't really know what happened. I personally have found it to be hard to believe that he killed himself. And and my main reason for that is this guy's a narcissist, a psychopath, a sociopath. I have to think that he believed that he could get out, get out of this again. And if he had his doubts, like, you know, I might not get out of it this time. I think he'd stay around to see if he did get out of it. I, I think he'd at least see, if his money and power and big name attorneys could get him out of it once again, I think he would not give up so easily, especially when he had such a, a victory, uh, you know, just 10, 11 years earlier, the sweetheart deal that he got once, maybe he could get that again. Um, I also saw, well, I, I watched the 60 minutes Australia investigation and man, was that, I watched it again today and really, really, you got to see that. And there was one comment made in there by the attorney for, uh, for Virginia Jeffrey. And I'm going to get his name up here. Um, attorney for, there's so many names, um, Virginia Roberts Jeffrey. And her lawyer, there's there's so many names, it's hard to keep track of all this. Her attorney is David Bose, Boys, and that's spelled B-O-I-E-S. There's some great, great comments by him uh, in that uh, that video, the 60 Minutes Investigation, 60 Minutes Australia. There's also another attorney. Uh, that is involved on behalf of another one of the victims. And uh, the comment was made that this all came down, this rearrest, if you will, of Epstein that happened at the Teterboro Airport in New Jersey, that this was the finality of 
the people in Washington, D.C. saying enough with this guy, it's over. Uh, that comment was made by one of the attorneys. And I just thought, what's over? What do you mean, it's over? I really believe, and I've got a lot of reasons to believe this. I'll mention just a couple. I really believe that at a minimum, Epstein was being protected by the U.S. government, if not an out-and-out member uh, you know, of the intelligence agency, was not an out-and-out asset of the CIA. Um, I really believe that. A couple of reasons. Number one, if you look into the Tower financial uh, scandal where his business partner goes to prison, I think, for 20 years, Epstein walks away unscathed. There's just too many of those kinds of situations where he seems to be untouchable. Obviously, we go back to the 2008 sweetheart deal, but we also go back even further than that because it has been known for at least 20, 25 years that Epstein has been involved with underage uh, girls and no one has touched him. It, it, it almost had to reach such a level, such a boiling point that they, they would even give it any attention. And the feds didn't prosecute at all in 2008. They walked away, let the state do it. And he got a minor, really a slap on the wrist. There's just too many things here. Nobody is this lucky. Nobody has this much <laughs> good fortune around them it, with as much as he did and as open as he was about it. So I'm convinced he was an intelligence asset. I'll say that tonight. I'm also going to say something else. I have spent the last two weeks looking into this guy's finances and all of the different corporations and offshore entities and nonprofit organizations and on and on and on. And his being based in the, the, uh, in St. Thomas in the U S Virgin islands, I am absolutely convinced that at some level, I really believe that he was involved with money laundering. And I know that that idea, I'm not the first to mention that, but I, I think it is, it is a big deal because it would largely explain where his wealth came from. I get it, the blackmail angle, that he got rich and powerful people in compromising position with underage women and was able to blackmail them. I get that, and I, I think that's still possibly the case where, where some of this money came from. But I really think that it very well could be that all of that activity was simply his way of networking to get into the right circles to do what he really did, which was money laundering. And and that's what I probably think is the bigger issue. And that brings me to uh, the next thing here, Prince Andrew. So everybody's talking about Prince Andrew, uh, his involvement with Jeffrey Epstein before the conviction and then even after the conviction after Epstein is a convicted pedophile on the Florida sexual predator website, all of that, that we have Epstein and Prince Andrew together for days on end. Um, everybody's talking about 
Prince Andrew being kicked out of Buckingham Palace, being relieved of all of his royal duties, losing his royal uh, income, all of that. And everyone assumes it's because of the sexual escapades. I think that's partially the case. But as I said last week, this was going on with Prince Andrew for years. Um, This is not a new thing. So on the one hand, you could say, well, Buckingham Palace, the queen, the royal family wanted to get ahead of this and get rid of Andrew before everything comes out, which very well could happen if this document dump happens where the federal court unseals uh, this case file, which could expose a thousand elites. Okay, all of that. I have a thought, though, and I don't think anybody has gone here either, so I might be the first one to speculate on this. I think that there's more here than just Prince Andrew being involved with underage girls. I really think there's more. One thing I have not spent a lot of time doing, and I'm going to do it over this Christmas break, I would like to learn more about the finances of the royal family. There's a lot of suspicion about, you know, how much money do they have? You know, what what is their money doing? How is their money used? There are similar suspicions about the Vatican and and whether they're involved with nefarious activity with their money. Now, in their own case, they're actually, you know, obviously the, the Vatican is its own standalone country within the country of Italy. Well, in the same manner, uh, obviously you have the royal family and you have the UK. And if you're the royal family, you probably have a certain large amount of autonomy with your own money and moving money around and all of that. And I just wonder, it seems like this relationship between Epstein and Prince Andrew was more than two frat boys getting involved with underage girls. I think there was more to it than that. I could be wrong, but I really think that there was more to it than that. There could have been some, possibly some really shady financial stuff going on. And Jeffrey Epstein, um, you know, being sort of the facilitator of that. I don't know, but, but uh, there's one picture of them um, or, or maybe a, a short video clip. I don't remember if it's a video clip or a picture where they're in the, just a serious, you know, in-depth conversation walking. I believe it's in Central Park um, in New York. And I just, I don't think these guys were strictly partying together. I, I think there was something larger going on. And that would explain why now Buckingham Palace wants to get rid of Andrew. Get out of the buck. You're out of Buckingham Palace. You lose your royal duties. You lose your royal income. Uh, we want to be done with you. We want to cut ties with you. I don't know what what possibly they were they were involved in, but I I have a feeling it was more than the women, than the young women. I believe it was it was more than that. I really do. Not that that's not enough. I mean that's certainly enough for Prince Andrew uh, to be tarred and feathered and to be uh, shamed and uh, kicked out of Buckingham Palace. That should be enough. But if it was enough, why didn't that happen years ago? You know, who knows? Maybe it was just that it's now becoming so public they couldn't ignore it anymore. But I, I really think that maybe there's something bigger even going on that has to do 
with Epstein's finances. Um, ABC, did you see this this week? ABC News, of course, they made news about the Epstein case uh, weeks ago <laughs> when Project Veritas released this video, the hot mic moment of Amy Robach saying that she had, quote, everything on Epstein and Clinton and Prince Andrew three years ago, and that basically ABC News killed the story. So that came out, and then ABC News has been largely silent, uh, you know, not completely, but, you know, largely silent about all this. Well, now a big announcement this week is that ABC News is launching a two-hour television special, which will take place the first week of January, and they're also launching a podcast all about the Jeffrey Epstein case. So are they doing this to sort of redeem themselves? Is that what's going on here? Will that do any good? Will they be redeemed? It's kind of like now that you've been caught, <laughs> now that you've been caught with your hand in the cookie jar, does it do any good uh, to now, as a mea culpa, do the special broadcasts? I, I don't know. I, I personally don't think so. It's not going to change my mind about them. But it is interesting to see this whole deal, this whole case beginning to really catch fire and catch a momentum. Um, it, it's It's fascinating to watch. And of course, one of the big stories we're still following closely is whether or not and when the federal court, the judge, will consider the release of these uh, documents that are sealed. So from the 2007 civil case, we have uh, all of these motions being made about the release of these documents. And the word is that if this judge decides to unseal this court case, that as many as 1,000 names would be revealed. 1,000 elites would be revealed. So there are a lot of people fighting to keep those files secret. Chiefly among them is Jelaine Maxwell. And um, when our guest joins us here in a few minutes, I want to talk a little bit about Jelaine Maxwell because it seems like this whole case is all about Jeffrey Epstein. But if you watch the 60 Minutes investigation, 60 Minutes Australia, Jelaine Maxwell is really described by them and by the victims in that special as really a, a partner, uh, like a partner with Epstein. It's not like there's Epstein at the top and she is sort of one of his minion. She is described by the victims as a partner of Epstein. And if that is the case, then you got to wonder, um, you know, if she's not possibly facing decades and decades in prison herself. I mean, certainly just as part of a conspiracy to sex traffic, that certainly would be on the table. But if it goes beyond that, as people are, are alleging that she was involved personally with the sexual assaults of these underage women, and, and directly involved in the sex trafficking, not just as sort of a behind the scenes player, but somebody that was actively recruiting and, and, and involved with it in that direct way, she could possibly uh, be up for severe criminal prosecution. 
So we know she's been in hiding largely. There was this one picture, which nobody knows if it's legit or not, of her at an In-N-Out burger in Southern California. We don't know if that's a real picture or not. Uh, but we do know she's very active, at least her attorneys are, in trying to keep all of these court documents sealed. And the word was a few weeks ago that the documents could be unsealed as, uh, you know, as a deadline, maybe by the end of the year. Now, I've read subsequently that there is no such deadline, that this is totally at the discretion of the judge. There is no end of year deadline for the court to unseal these files. Uh, so so that, you know, who knows if if or when that's going to happen. But I do think this case has really built up enough momentum. It's gained enough attention that I don't think that that case is going to stay sealed. There, there really doesn't seem to be any good reason for that case to stay sealed. And then I have one more thing to mention here before we pick up with our guest here in moments. Uh, and again, if you're just tuning in, uh, we will have with us tonight co-author of Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales, will be joining us here at the bottom of the hour, James Robertson. One of the uh, other things that I found interesting was apparently they have not yet raided Jeffrey Epstein's New Mexico ranch. Now, that's from all the news reports I've looked at. Um, so they've they've gone, of course, to his Florida home, his New York home. They've gone to the private island, but they haven't gone to the New Mexico uh, ranch yet. Uh, and that was reported, um, multiple publications have reported that uh, authorities have not been there yet. I don't know why. Maybe there's nothing there to get. Maybe that's that's the reason why. Uh, but a lot. Oh, we also did confirm this week, in addition to the FDLE, saying that the uh, investigation is open and active. The governor, uh, the governor's investigation into the 2008 sweetheart deal. We also did confirm that. Uh, the probate process has started in South Florida. That is when someone is deceased and uh, you then have the executors file documents to uh, begin the process of, uh, which could take years. Uh, probate is you know, possibly a, a process that could take many years, uh, but the process has begun uh, for the assets to be dealt with um, in terms of uh, death certificates, the probate court, all of that. Uh, of course, there's a lot of you know lawsuits flying, and those assets will likely be be frozen and held until the outcome of a lot of these civil cases. All right, I am told that our special guest is with us tonight. It's the first time that he's with us. He is the co-author of this fantastic new book, Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales. And Dylan Howard was supposed to be with us, um, but he has the flu, uh, international flight, lots of uh, stuff going around. So we're pleased to welcome for the first time ever, uh, author James Robertson. James, good to have you with us, sir. Thank you, Jim. Uh, so Dylan couldn't be with us tonight, but you're with us and that's cool. Um, and we want to talk of course about the brand new book. And I just want to start by telling people, we're just going to be scratching the surface tonight, maybe even scratching the scratch, not even beyond that. So we want everybody to get the book. Number one, it's a great book. I did a review on Amazon, gave it the five stars, all of that. Uh, and you'll want to get the book if you're interested in this case, folks. You'll want this book. It is sort of the book of record. It's got everything in it. 
you'll want to get it. It's available as a printed book. You can also get the Kindle version. And also by buying the book, you're helping to keep this case higher profile. So let's keep this book uh, burning forward and and uh, on those bestsellers lists. And uh, James, let me start by um, sharing with you something I mentioned to our listeners uh, early on. I'm not sure if you're aware of it or not, but uh, any any thoughts you have on this? Our uh, Florida Department of Law Enforcement, uh, my broadcast originates from Central Florida. I'm in Florida. I spoke to the FDLE, which is our state law enforcement agency, earlier this week, and they confirmed that uh, the investigation that was ordered by our governor, Ron DeSantis, that that investigation is active and ongoing. Of course, they wouldn't give me any more details on it, but I don't hear a lot of people talking about that investigation. And to me, out of everything in your book, out of everything about this whole case, the one thing that I think smells the worst is this 2008 sweetheart deal. Uh, Talk a little bit about that. So, yeah, first of all, thank you so much for your support. And from one international journalist, Dylan, who's unfortunately unwell, you get me from the UK. Um, but yes, this, the, the situation when it comes to the documents, whether it be uh, criminal, federal, probate, civil or internal with families fighting over a state, it's always so difficult to get the truth, mostly because you have so many people having different interests. So. If you have one source telling you one thing, it takes months sometimes to corroborate the accuracy or the veracity of those claims. Um, this sweetheart deal was something that has really haunted the story um, and is a bad smell that simply won't go away. And when you consider all of the depraved and heinous behaviors and activities of Epstein and his co-conspirators, that this deal is still the thing that lingers. It's not the human trafficking or the child trafficking or the the president or the prime ministers. It's what is the story behind this case? Um, and I can tell you that in the next two or three months, um, I should be obtaining files released by the FBI. I have been suing the FBI for the last three years in court to release the files relating to this case. Now, this lawsuit, um, I'm being represented by uh, Daniel Novak, who's one of the best First Amendment attorneys in America. And for listeners who may not be so in tuned with the freedom of information, um, while somebody is alive, you can still request documents. Now, the problem being is that if you're a living person, you have an expectation of privacy. You have a right to maintain some level of privacy. But in death, these files are then released and made available to the public. So this lawsuit is really our best option for not just us, but for the public and people around the world, the victims and the readers and the listeners today, um, to find out what really happened to Epstein in life and death. Um, We're hoping that within the next two months, we're going to get a breakthrough of sorts. I am expecting it to be redacted, which will be uh, some blacked out pieces where they're going to try and maintain some control, whether it be names of public officials or um, officers who were involved in doing something that they may not want them to be now dragged back into the story. Um, so, yeah, in the coming months, we're, we're looking for very excited to have, have a breakthrough on this. And I hope that once you begin to unlock the doors when it comes to the freedom of information uh, and the FBI files, you really begin to 
understand the, the darkness behind yeah what went yeah on. it's it, it's almost like you know if we're if we are to go there which i it's hard for me to believe it and and i talked about it on my show last week if we are to go there which is to believe that the government our government maybe other governments as well allowed epstein to do these horrible things because he was somehow providing information to them that they would allow that, uh, which, you know, I, I hate to jump to any conclusions, but it's starting to look more and more like that. And I want to go back again to this 2008 sweetheart deal where he got just like a year and a month or, or two in, in, in county jail, had his own private wing of the jail here in Florida, was allowed to be released six days a week for like 12 or 13 hours a day. Uh, was not required to wear an ankle monitor, which I pulled the case file and saw the motion and saw the judge approve for him not to have to wear an ankle monitor. And then when you look at this Alex Acosta resignation as the labor secretary uh, in the Trump administration, I find this very unusual that Alex Acosta would feel like he needs to resign. Uh, you know, his position was that he was told by higher ups that Epstein is is an intelligence asset. It's above his pay grade to stay out of it. Now, if that is true, then why would he feel that he needs to give up this position he has in the Trump administration? Uh, he's a cabinet member. Trump says he's doing a great job. All of a sudden, he has to discontinue. He has to disappear. Um, the 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 victims were never notified, which is highly unusual and illegal that this deal was made. The victims were not notified. Uh, he, he all of a sudden resigns. And this was just two weeks before our governor orders the investigation by the Florida Department of Law Enforcement into the 2008 sweetheart deal. I think something big and sinister happened in that 2008, uh, 2008 sweetheart deal. Uh, what do you think, James? I, I think you've just absolutely nailed it on the head there. We spoke to um, a man who really gave Epstein his first path into becoming a criminal. They, they in fact, by his own admission, began uh, to run a Ponzi scheme together. The name uh, Stephen Hoffenberg, the former uh, CEO, I think, or, or owner of the New York Daily News. He was, at the time, a, a big guy on Wall Street, um, the former chairman of Towers Financial Corporation, and he gave Epstein a job. He is now coming forward, talking to us and discussing some intricate details that weren't previously known that I believe is, is really just, uh, I mean, uh, a hair on, on a big, big, giant wig, because this is unbelievable. And he says that at the time when he tried to speak to Acosta and he tried to tell the government about Epstein's financial crimes and he was ignored and he did this because he was so horrified by the 2008 sweetheart deal that he said was unprecedented and like you said it was illegal that they didn't tell the victims there was there's so much to it that stinks um and yeah like you say he was his belief is that it was an inside deal with the justice department because of espionage and there was a conversation that went on that was essentially, look, this guy is an Israeli spy. Are we really going to embarrass an ally because he's threatening to expose everything? And like you say, he then goes on to have 
a, a deal which you'd be relieved to have if you had 20 parking tickets. And this man was facing federal charges. He and was facing possibly, was yeah, decades in prison. And yeah, uh, yeah. one of the things about, you know, Alan Dershowitz, uh, okay, he will represent anyone. He was involved with the OJ defense. But the the one lawyer that it's very peculiar, so you have this Christian conservative Ken Starr, who was the special prosecutor that took down Clinton, uh, Monica Lewinsky, all of that. Monica Lewinsky, that, that uh, Ken Starr was a was a guy behind all this, of course. And Ken Starr is involved in representing Epstein uh, along with Dershowitz. And then Ken Starr is confronted recently after doing a speech. Uh, Ken Starr does a speech and. Apparently he's being very gregarious and chatting it up with everybody afterwards and shaking hands and slapping backs and kissing babies. And so uh, the reporter asks him, uh, look, uh, what about your representation of, of Jeffrey Epstein? Uh, and, and he immediately, he says, uh, well, I can't talk about that. I was, um, it was my pleasure to represent a client of our firm and and they said that that was it. Like he just shut down and, and left. Um, just it's like everybody is 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 implicated here. This is not Republicans or Democrats. This is like across the board. Everybody is implicated here, it seems like. Yeah. And, and just as a funny side note here, um, I've actually reached out many times to Mr. Starr by text message and, and phone and He's yet to return my calls on this matter. But I, I know at the time from my reporting around Clinton that um, high profile lawyers who were very powerful, backed with very big firms, they were also susceptible to blackmail um, and pressure from higher powers. But as soon as you get involved with the politics and and the people who can make decisions at the highest level of the government, then you're out you're out of your debt no matter who you are you can be ken Starr, you can be the prime minister you can be a member of the royal family once you hit that point there's no going back you either have to fight to survive or you've got to try and keep your mouth shut and hope they don't retaliate um there was a well, former palm beach county deputy sheriff Oh, sorry. Let me let me jump in. We've got a, a short delay, so my apologies for stepping over you. I, I wanted to throw something in here that might uh, rile you a little bit, and and uh, it gave me chills when I discovered it in my research into this case the last couple of weeks. Do you know that our Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, John Roberts, was the deputy to Ken Starr? During those years when he was uh, the solicitor general before he was the special counsel. And there's been a lot of rumors here in our uh, country about the, you know, John Roberts and some of this, you know, like the vote for Obamacare, which everyone said like went against everything and nobody could explain it. Some people had uh, speculated maybe he was somehow blackmailed or something you know who knows but it's like these connections be it gives me chills when i read that i was like wow so you have ken Starr who's involved in it with epstein and our chief justice john roberts was ken Starr's deputy when ken Starr was the solicitor general working at the uh, justice department now all i can tell you is that in light of our reporting our manuscript was turned in um 
a, a fair while ago now. And in light of the reporting, we've uncovered so much more. And because of the success of the book, the brave whistleblowers that are coming forward now are revealing so much that hopefully there will be more to come out in the very near future. Now, I can tell you that it does go to the highest levels of the Supreme Court's attorney generals, um, people who had a, a sickening influence and a voice in the, in the room at the highest level. And these are people who either were involved to a degree or knew more than they've ever let on before. And like you say, every, almost every day it becomes to a point where uh, myself, Melissa Cronin and Dylan Howard, the co-authors of Dead Men Tell No Tales, we, we talk to each other in a, in a disbelief and it takes a little while for us to decide which path to go down because there are so many dark paths surrounding this story that are, un, that are unfolding every single day. Um, but that is certainly one of them. And more names are coming forward now from very, very credible sources. Um, a source has just provided thousands of documents um, that are unsealed, government sealed. Um, and I mean, we looked through maybe 15 percent of those in the past 72 hours and it's chilling. So, yeah. So it's know, not even like six, hard, you know, six hard. generations of Kevin Bacon. You know, that game that people play. This is like <laughs> one generation of Jeffrey Epstein, maybe two generations. And it's like everybody is connected. I want to shift gears and ask you about Prince Andrew and, and hit you with something that I'm thinking about. I am personally convinced because I have looked, I, I used to be uh, a money manager, managed tens of millions of dollars. So I'm well, well aware of uses of trusts and the Seychelles and shell corporations and all the things that rich people do. Because I had rich clients and I know all about how all of this works. I have no doubt personally, and I'm not putting you on the hook for this. I have no doubt that Epstein was involved in money laundering or at least money hiding for very wealthy people, maybe even, uh, you know, governments that are evading sanctions. Um, and uh, when I look at uh, Prince Andrew and the fact that he's just now kicked out of Buckingham Palace, so he's been involved with this activity for, you know, what, uh, at least 10 years, 12 years, maybe longer than that. And now all of a sudden he has to get out of Buckingham Palace, loses his royal position, all of his duties, loses his royal income, all of a sudden, and then you see these pictures of him uh, with Epstein, even after Epstein is a convicted pedophile, sexual predator. He's at his house in New York for 10 days. And I have this thought that there is more to this Prince Andrew story than just he used Epstein as a way to get access to young girls. I think that was part of it, but there's a lot of people that have, you know, talked about the mystery of the money behind the royal family and many times compared them to the Vatican and their financial secrecy and their potential nefarious activities. And I just wonder if Prince Andrew isn't a big player in the money side of whatever this game is that Jeffrey Epstein had going. Yes. So I feel with Prince Andrew's situation, the quickest way to describe it is it's going to get far worse for him before it gets any better. And that's a big statement when you consider he has now lost his royal royal position. 
um, with the money, with the, the women, there's always a, a conundrum or a, a, a situation where, with Andrew where he was so weird himself when he, when he talks in the interview, when he was talking with Ghislaine, uh, when you hear the story of Virginia Roberts and another woman who claims to have spent time with Andrew at the Santa Fe, New Mexico ranch, they all have the same story. He was a very weird man. He, there was nothing about him that ticked the regular box. He wasn't just a old pervert trying to get cheap thrills. There was something more sinister to his relationship with Epstein. Um, and him in, him in himself was far beyond just traveling around the world to spend time with a young woman. There is, there is a much bigger story behind Andrew, and I think in the months to come, we're going to start to see more of those those stories appear. Very good. I, I, I think you're 100% on. I, I, I really think that uh, if all he was really guilty of was involving himself with 16, 17-year-old women, my understanding is in the U.K., the age of consent is 16. So I could see him having like a lot of plausible deniability. Like, look, maybe, you know, I didn't know. And it was maybe inappropriate based on my age. Uh, but this guy looks like he is running for his life. And I don't think you run for your life because of something like that, especially if you have diplomatic immunity and you're part of the Royal family. Uh, I think like you're saying, I think there's something much, much bigger going on here. Now let's talk about some of the biggest names. Let's start with Bill Clinton who really tried to minimize his involvement with Epstein. But now we know from the flight logs that he was on at least 27 flights. Isn't that right? That's correct. So, yeah, we, we reported at the time that he traveled on Epstein's, uh, Epstein's jet, but he didn't admit to the totality of the situation. And it, and it comes back down to with Prince Andrew. When we say he's, denying this ever happening instead of just saying it was a lapse of judgment if it did happen but to say that he doesn't sweat prince andrew that is is a bizarre, is a bizarre <laughs> thing to say so i always believe the lie is worse than the crime and it shows what you're trying to hide so with clinton if you're saying oh, yes i did travel on it but six trips and we'll later find out that it was 27 in the space of I think maybe 18 months between 2002 and 2003 and including one trip without security detail or chaperones. The first question is, how could you forget that? If you are a member of any level of government that requires secret service, a security detail, or at least an assistant or chaperone, you will be very aware of the times where you specifically request no company. Now, if you're President Clinton, how could you forget that? And if you did, I mean, that calls into a lot more judgment about some of his decision making. But if he did remember and withheld that information, we have to know why. Yeah. And, and a lot of people, it's easier to believe that former President Bill Clinton was there for the women than and solely that being the reason, because we know that's kind of his resume, but maybe he was there for more than the women. Just like I mentioned about Andrew, you know, there are a lot of questions still about the Clinton foundation and, and all kinds of things. And who knows what else that 
they Bill Clinton might have been involved in with Jeffrey Epstein. Um, it's it's fascinating. And uh, Clinton just continues to kind of, you know, minimize uh, his involvement. Do you think there will be more that comes out about Clinton other than sort of just the innuendo that, look, knowing a guy like Clinton and being on 27 flights, I don't think very many people have a problem connecting those dots uh, just by innuendo. But do you think there will be anything more substantive coming out about Bill Clinton? Well, I think the the way I can describe this book is this isn't a a dossier of evidence in the way that it just proves fact after fact. This is a dossier of evidence that is connecting dots and allowing people to conclude their own opinion at the very last step. Because when Bill Clinton tri- does these trips, there's no ticket that says specifically what he's going for. It's not like Disneyland where he pays for X amount of rides at the Mickey Mouse Palace. Um, but what we do know is in our reporting, we found that Bill Clinton's close friend um, left one of his campaigns in the early 90s to work for a publicity firm that was also representing Robert Maxwell, um, as well as Saudi Arabia, Kuwait and Adnan Khashoggi. Now, Khashoggi was, of course, Epstein's friend. Um, Maxwell, we know, had close connections to Russia and we believe was a spy from Mossad. And his daughter, of course, was Ghislaine. So at the very least, you know that not only was he traveling on 27 flights, but his inner circle was also connected to Epstein's inner circle, both with Ghislaine Maxwell's father, Robert Maxwell, who we know was a spy, and Adnan Khashoggi. Now, the Adnan Khashoggi connection becomes even more curious because that was the yacht which now President Trump purchased from him in 1988, the Trump princess. So there is, like you you said earlier, and just to reiterate it, which is always something that divides opinion with this book, is the left think it's an attack on Clinton, the right think it's an attack on Trump, and it's neither. These are, this is a story I don't think that will ever happen again. It's the story of espionage, um, blackmail, and a network of co-conspirators who may not have known how deep they were getting involved in, but somehow all of these people are connected and the only truism and connection between them all is Jeffrey Epstein. Now, the biggest problem we have is that this man's now dead. So what secrets he took to the grave, we're, we're only trying to find out. But with all of them, you go from the top to the bottom, the British royal family, American presidents, attorney generals, bankers, brokers, and playboy bunnies, that people know just shreds of information. And it's about eking that out to, to color in the story. And it's like uh, a putting, putting a puzzle together, and we have only so many pieces of the puzzle. For those people just tuning in, uh, we are speaking with co-author of Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales, uh, James Robertson is with us. Dylan Howard was scheduled, but wasn't able to make it uh, due to illness. And uh, James Robertson is doing a, a great job. And you have the wonderful uh, accent as well. 
So, <laughs> which is nice. Uh, you guys, when you do those podcasts and all that, the, the, uh, the UK accident, uh, we love that. Uh, now let me ask you about Trump, um, full and fair disclosure. People that listen to my show know that I'm a conservative. Uh, I'm not necessarily over the top Trump supporter, although I did vote for Trump compared to Hillary. I am a conservative. He does represent my values, although I don't necessarily agree with everything he says and does. Um, but there is some connection with Trump, but it's not, it doesn't seem as significant as it is with Clinton. Am, am I being fair on that? That is totally fair. And, and I, I think it's one of those things where because Trump is, is who he is, and, um, such a powerful and popular figure in, in Florida pre-presidency, both with Mar-a-Lago, the yacht, um, and his level of fame where he was also a cover star of the National Enquirer many, many years um, prior to him running the campaign. So with Clinton, there is it's a lot more of an intimate relationship. The visits, there was reporting, or a claim rather, um, from a ranch employee from Santa Fe, New Mexico, Epstein's Ranch, who said that even Hillary visited now, with Trump, it was more of a case of affiliation. There, I don't believe there's any evidence beyond that um, that puts him in a position of not conspiracy. Um, that'd be the wrong word to use, but any position of curiosity that there's not there's far fewer questions lingering over uh, Trump's affiliation with Epstein than there is with uh, with Clinton. Uh, I I was I watched again today the 60 Minutes Australia uh, report, which I'm sure you've seen that. Uh, it's a shame that our own uh, media here in the U.S. hasn't done uh, such a, a a wonderful report like they did. And th- one of the comments uh, just kind of struck me. One of the attorneys for one of the young women, uh, who of course is now you know in her 20s, but is is suing. Uh, said that I believe it was his comment. It was either him or it was David Bowes, the other attorney for Virginia Jeffrey, that the timing of of all of this, you know, 2019, uh, Epstein has been doing all this for 20, 25 years, maybe longer. All of a sudden he lands at Teterboro Airport and all of a sudden then there's like a dozen FBI agents he's arrested. And a lot of people are saying, look, why now? Why, why did they do this now? And one of the comments one of the attorneys made was that he has it on good information that the highest powers in D.C. said, this is done. This is over. And the way he said it was, it wasn't like this is over. It was like this, as if you put this in all capital letters, as if something significant an operation or or whatever you want to call it this is ending this jeffrey epstein thing which um it just struck me that uh the timing of this you know there wasn't anything substantial that really seemed to cause all of this to happen do you believe that there was just uh, somebody you know all the way up in the very tops of our government that said okay this epstein thing now that that I'm looking at it, this is done. We're pulling the plug on Epstein. Go get him, and this is over. You know, I, I my the thing that stands out to me is exactly this point. 
is why now? And the closest we've come to drawing any conclusion on this, um, and like I said, this is again when you put together pieces of the jigsaw and if it starts to look like starts to look like something, you can fill in the blanks, but sometimes it may be your imagination. But this is something that I believe lends some explanation to it. When you do consider that Acosta was pressured by higher ups, it was reported at the time to give him that sweetheart deal. Um, Epstein did a lot of business with Saudi Arabia through the years. Um, and look, we know that Robert Maxwell, Ghislaine's father, was uh, a spy. Um, and I found uh, Jeffrey Epstein's handler for the Mossad. His name was Ari Ben Menashe, who has publicly stated on the record he worked for Mossad for a decade. Um, he worked for Robert Maxwell and through that was given the task of, of looking after Ghislaine and Epstein. Now, this was a man who was arrested in 1989 um, in, in America on arms dealing charges, but was acquitted in 1990 uh, when a jury accepted he was acting on behalf of Israel, which they, of course, denied. Um, but by revealing himself now, his, his sentiment was that if anything happens to him, at least questions will be answered. And he told me Epstein's job was to build dossiers of, comp of compromising materials, essentially video of politicians or powerful figures with young women and to blackmail them. And he made it very clear that Epstein wasn't smart enough to rise to his level um, of arms dealing or, or kind of trade, trade deals with intelligence agencies or world leaders because um, he just wasn't involved in that. And most people who have met Epstein, attorneys who have deposed him or, or people who've tried to confront him about his behavior, they're always given the aura that he believed he was not only the smartest man in the room, but untouchable. This man, Ari Ben Menashe, who was a self-professed Mossad spy, who was a handler for the Maxwells and, and Epstein, described Epstein as a simple idiot. Now, when you consider how heinous the activities were, that if he was so low on the scale of Mossad, then what would the benefit be? And that leaded on, led us to another chain of, of reporting about Epstein's obsession with science and his connections there go so deep in the world of science and academia. And the question we kept asking ourselves is why did he, why did he cultivate them? And the one point that was so fascinating to me was that he, if his job was to blackmail people, right. And by obtaining compromising information of these people in vulnerable situations, whether it be, in a state of undress with young people or a microphone in a room, a cigar and whiskey party in one of his townhouses in, in his townhouse in New York. Um, and what that could do now. Epstein has also backed financially an app with uh, Ehad Barak and a company that employed Michael Cohen, uh, who is, um, of course, President Trump's former attorney. Um, the app is called Smart 911. And essentially what this is, is it, it's an app on your cell phone where if you dial 911, it supplies a preservation of evidence. This meaning your microphone activates, your front camera activates, your reverse camera activates, and captures everything from the time you dial 911 until you log it to be safe, secure, or situation kind of solved. Now, this has already been rolled out and approved in some states since Michael Cohen received a six-figure sum um, when he did have some influence or had some connection still then with President Trump. So when you look at this, that 
you have former Israeli prime minister. We know Epstein has connections with the Mossad. We know he was trying to fund back or develop somehow a app which on the surface, and, and just to be clear, the, the developers of this app say this is all above board and there is no evidence of wrongdoing. Um, but essentially the question is, was there any use for Epstein anymore? Was what he had worth keeping him free? And I think the, the answer to that was no. And, and is, is the implication, that, James, that there might have been uh, an evolution of that app? Like maybe that app was being used to spy on people to begin with. And then they thought, well, what if we put it into this commercial use that there was an, an earlier generation of that app that was something being used, um, you know, for spying, for videotaping and recording? It, that is absolutely right. That's my opinion. And with with all of this, when we, when we come to Epstein's role as a spy, it's so hard to detach the James Bond, like jumping from plane to plane or rooftop to rooftop that we know or we see on Jason Bourne or we know, we know from Hollywood films. He was a peddler of information. And just like newspapers that are being modernized and turned into digital, I feel that his role as a peddler of information where all he did was sell it to whoever wanted it the most. When he had his deal, in, when he was arrested in 2006 and got his deal in 2008, it was because of what he knew and what he gave back. Um, I, 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 used, I asked his, his, uh, his handler and as well as um, a former Palm Beach sheriff who worked on the case at the time, whether they believed Epstein was a double agent. And they both said, no, they believed he was had more fingers in more pies than to be a double agent, that he was essentially intelligence for hire. And it was a quid pro quo with anyone who would offer him anything. And just like just like digital is taking over the world, I think that there was no more no more benefit to the people who were either controlling him and or protecting him to let him be free. It was easier for them do what's happened another big name uh here james is bill gates who bill gates did the same uh you know shuffle kabuki dance when he was confronted about his connection with epstein like minimized it all of that but then we have the new york times picture of him in 2011 which is three years after epstein is a convicted pedophile on the sexual predator website for the state of Florida, that there you have uh, you have a picture of Epstein and Bill Gates in in Epstein's house. And Bill Gates explains this is like he was looking for some kind of donation. And I'm thinking to myself, look, you know, I was born in the morning in the morning, but not yesterday morning. I mean, Bill Gates is out <laughs> peddling for donations uh, with a convicted predator at his house and even, you know, okay, I'm Bill Gates. I go to the house, right. And I'm, and whatever I'm doing there, I'm doing there, but that I am so comfortable with it that I take a group picture with Epstein, uh, and two other individuals. Um, and, and, and I, and I'm willing to be in a picture with this guy. Uh, and I'm Bill Gates. I, I, you know, this is a smart guy, uh, who, who needs no money from anyone. Uh, clearly, you know, something is not being, you know, disclosed here. What, what's going on? 
So, with, with and, and it, it blows my mind too that we we found out as well that uh, Epstein spent time with Stephen Hawking. We know that Kevin Spacey was on his jet. We know Heidi Klum, the model, uh, had been over his house for dinner parties, and he also attended one of her Halloween parties in the late noughties. Um, the theory as well from what um, is kind of described to me by insiders regarding Gates was um, those situations would arise from a favor for a favor. So it's not why he was there, but who else was there that would have leveraged or wanted to have been in a room then with Bill Gates. So someone would have said to Epstein, this is hypothetical from a, a theory from someone who's kind of was in this circle at one point that someone wants to be in the room with a person. They then find someone who can leverage or pull that favor. So whether or not Bill Gates got his kids to do something or got a bill passed from one senator who called him a favor and said, look, I need you to go to this party. You've got to meet this guy as a favor. And that's Epstein leveraging the middleman on the one side and being leveraged by another middleman on the other. And whether it is a coincidence and a horrible twist of fate or something more sinister, only only Gates will know. But, but that's how Epstein operated. He would get the greatest minds and the most powerful people in the room at the same time through leverage. I'm sure if there was a blind ballot that night about how many people actually wanted to be there, you'd be amazed by who said no. Um, that is how it comes to go about, especially with the, the Manhattan townhouse. That was his entertaining house. This was um, where he hosted the parties with Hollywood royalty. Um, and you know, only eyebrows really get raised when they either visit the um, Little St. Uh, James out in the Caribbean or, uh, or his ranch, where it's a lot more secrecy. And this, this house, by the way, uh, you know, as a financial guy myself, I still can't wrap my brain around. Uh, you've got uh, Les Wexner gives the house to him for nothing. According to the real estate records, the deed is transferred for zero. And granted, at the time, it wasn't a $75 million house. I think it was like a 13 or $15 million house, and then it had to go through renovations. But there's even thought that Wexner paid for the renovations. But in any case, you know... This guy, Epstein's not his son. He's not related. Uh, you know, maybe you don't even give your own son a house like that. If I guess if you're as rich as Wexner, maybe you do. But uh, what's the deal with the, the free house? That that doesn't, I mean, just the taxes alone on the gift, because in the U.S. here, we have to pay a tax if we give someone more than, than a very modest sum. Uh, just the gift taxes that Wexner would owe gifting that house to Epstein for nothing, that just, to me, seems very suspicious on top of the fact that Wexner, uh, from what I've read, uh, gave a power of attorney over all of his money uh, to Epstein. Now, who does that? I mean, no matter how much you trust somebody, you don't get to be less Wexner just giving power of attorney of all your money to one person, especially who has this kind of checkered, uh, you know, life going on. It's a, I, I have... I'm absolutely speechless by the whole situation. We, um, in our reporting, just to, again, because everything that we were reading was citing reports. We obtained all of the records, the housing, all of the deeds. And the thing that struck me, like you say, about the taxing was 
he also paid the $12 filing fee for Etsy. <laughs> now, that, that was something where I thought, you know, if I, I get it if you're going to do all of this, but you're still writing the check to the county clerk to use her ink stamp to approve this transaction. You're still spending that $12, you know, and that to me was no, n- nothing to be left nothing to be in Epstein's hands close every hole and that $12 was so symbolic to me um, that he didn't want anything to upset his friend Jeffrey um, because he probably didn't even need to do that right right and you you wonder so some some people speculate James well he must have had you know he must have had the goods on Les Wexner, you know, maybe he had video of him or whatever. And I, I, I'm always thinking like a little bit differently saying, yeah, but you know, Wexner's a really rich guy. So maybe the angle is a money angle. I, I, I really think for some of these more powerful, wealthy people, they don't need Epstein to set them up with women. Uh, I, I, I think that that's misguided for everyone to always go there, that it's always about the young women uh, maybe in some cases, yes, but I, I think that there's other things that are going to come out that are on the money side uh, of this whole equation uh, where some of these rich people were getting something. You know, if you're giving someone for nothing that seven story townhouse in Manhattan, maybe you got something back much bigger than that that was not legal or was uh, certainly maybe evading taxes of a greater amount than that. I don't know. I'm just I'm just throwing out their possibilities. But uh, again, Les Wexner, he's sort of like minimizing. He cut himself off from Epstein years ago. This is all in the past. Nothing to see here. Everyone move along. He's another wealthy person that wants to just put this in the past. Yeah, we, we are exactly of the same opinion with this. I mean, I think it's... Um, it's so easy to just say that the reason why all these men wanted to hang out with a convicted pedophile um, at such great risk was to spend time with women. That simply isn't the case. And um, we, we have a, a chapter on the money trail and we have a chapter on how he found his fortune. And that, that is the path to follow because, you know, everything leads to money. Um, we, we got hold of the information regarding the, the app Smart 9-1 and his investment by following shell companies and the paper trail between him and Israeli officials. Now, why would he even bother doing that? You know, you've got to try and think about the mindset. And like you say, people who gift high value, either houses, cars, watches, um, or if they're, if they're doing anything like this, it's why? You've got to just ask why. And if there's no obvious answer, it's because they've done very well to hide it. And we're doing our, our darndest to try and find those answers yeah, to questions. You know, I'm, I'm the kind of guy, I'm the kind of guy, James, if you and I were out to lunch and you offered to pay my lunch, I would feel a little bit uncomfortable with that. I, you know, I might let you do it. And then I'd tell you the next one is on me. But that's a if you if you call me up and said you were giving me a fifteen million dollar house, uh, 
I, I, I don't know where that would register on my scale of, of being uncomfortable. Uh, you know, that, that, this well, just, even a $50 gift voucher at Olive Garden would make you feel right. Right. I think curious. what's, what's, what's this guy up to? What's, what's going on here? All right. We've, yeah. we've got just a couple minutes left. I, I, I want to close it out by talking about Jelaine Maxwell and, and for people that want to really go into a deep dive on this, you do your research into Robert Maxwell. There's a lot on Robert Maxwell in the book as well. Uh, some on Robert Maxwell, but there's also whole books on Robert Maxwell and his connection to uh, Israel uh, as as an asset, as a spy, his sort of mysterious death and, and all of that. He's a whole separate uh, character to look into. But this Jelaine Maxwell, so... From everything I've read, she's sort of like missing. She's nobody knows where she is, supposedly, but her lawyers are firing on rapid fire with motions and letters and arguments that I'm following in the docket of the federal case from the 2017 case, trying to prevent the unsealing and, and of the names in that case. So while she's in hiding, all of this activity is still going on. And she, more than anyone, does not want these names to be released. Is she the ultimate protector of the list? Is she the dead man switch, if you will? You know, I think she has to be. I think when you look at her upbringing, like you say, Robert Maxwell, who himself is worth 100 books, um, and essentially how she manipulated Epstein for the Mossad or for her father um, and acted as an alleged handler or madam for Epstein, which she denies, there I don't believe there'd be anything of great importance that she wouldn't know, or at least have some substantial theory behind it. So what we know about Ghislaine currently is um, photographs emerged of her fairly recently, I think um, maybe in around September time, at a burger joint in Los Angeles. Now, we know that those photos have been doctored. We don't know the time that they were taken. We don't know who took them. Um, in my reporting, I've uncovered the person that was doing the deal to try and sell the photographs, which were published by the New York Post. Um, and what I found that this person who, despite having very little in terms of um, a digital presence or a public presence, they also owned around 50 properties um, in America, as well as in Europe, which we know where Ghislaine and Epstein also own property and live. Um, I have confirmed that this is a real person. It's not Ghislaine with a pseudonym, but that's something I'm looking at, is to how this person came about profiting off doctored images of Ghislaine at a time where it was rumored online that she'd been killed. It was rumored that she would, was in protection of the MI6, the British intelligence agency or was she in with Mossad was she you know even in Los Angeles there was I, I, I can't tell you how many days were spent staking out her houses um, in London uh, Jeffrey's house Epstein's house in Paris um, and property in California where of course her sister who she's very close with still lives um, my theory is look we know that intelligence agencies trade information or they work together at times, especially when there's a, a mutual interest. And I believe that Ghislaine is probably one of those few people that ticks the boxes where 
it would benefit no government, no power figure who's ever crossed paths with Epstein or Robert Maxwell or Ghislaine for her to come forward and tell her story. And like you've seen, the motions that her legal team are filing are nonsense. They have no merit. It, it's cause and creation is just to delay. And, you know, the minute that her story comes out, I, I fear, though, it will be misinformation, misdirection, and will lead us all down the wrong path. Unless it's discovered by a, a proper criminal investigation led by, you know, a, an open trial and the documents are made public, the findings, the theories, like a Mueller report where we see why, then I really don't think we're going to have a conclusion with Ghislaine. Although how, how much I would love for her to do a Prince Andrew and sit down uh, with us for a TV interview, I doubt it very much that... Um, she would be willing to take that risk, despite some reports last week that she was uh, peddling a story to US TV. And final question, uh, what do you know about these documents that might be released? Some had said they would be released by the end of the year, and then other uh, reporting I've seen said, no, there's no real deadline of end of the year. That was just speculation. This judge in the case could take whatever amount of time they want to take. Um, number one, do you think the records will be unsealed? Uh, and when do you think they could be unsealed by? So uh, to answer that in three parts, I think one, we also have to think when we look back at Acosta and the pressure that he was under, um, the judges and the records clerks who are responsible for flagging sensitive information um, prior to the release to determine redactions, they can find any excuse to delay it, whether it be if something is ineligible, if the, the spelling might be incorrect, if a date doesn't match up, and then it has to go to a research department, essentially, to confirm or corroborate. Um, there's always tricks that government agencies and such and like can delay the release of documents. This is something that we experience every day. I mean, I still get responses from the CIA and FBI from requests I've put in in 2006. Um, <laughs> so I believe I believe they, the, they're under such high pressure to release them that the likelihood is that we will see something, but I just wouldn't hold your breath on it to be anything. Um, it will be far from a smoking gun. I think the only people that will be named in the documents will already be dead. Um, the statements or the allegations will be mostly what has already been reported. There may be the only hope that we have at this stage will be that what is released is the missing piece, like you say about the jigsaw, to go back to that analogy, that can connect more dots. And it's hoping that they misstep or overlook a key detail in these findings or a statement from an officer or a statement from a witness or one of Epstein's attorneys that they don't know that that is the missing key that we've been waiting for to unlock the next door and go down that rabbit hole. Very um, good. And uh, James, look, you, 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 James Robertson, it's been so good having you with us. I want you to take uh, your last minute here. Uh, the book is Epstein dead men tell no tales. You can get the book on Amazon printed or Kindle version. Uh, tell us anything else you want to share about 
the book and how people can get it, or if you have a website or a blog or a news site that you want to share as well. So the book uh, was also the, the genesis of the podcast, um, Epstein, Devil in the Darkness. So there are revelations in the book that aren't in the podcast um, because the podcast was completed when we were continuing working on the manuscript. But I highly recommend consuming both because the, the podcast itself, it's so valuable to hear the person talk. Um, when you hear the interviews and you hear the, the voices of the victims break and you hear the credibility of the handlers or the police detectives who one of which fled to Moscow and has political asylum by Vladimir Putin, who claims to have blackmail files um, that Epstein had. It, listen to those voices, read the book and make your own opinion and know that none of this is done with anything but intention to uncover the truth. And I've said it uh, for weeks now. I believe this is the biggest story of my lifetime. I really do. And, I, and I've, I've looked into JFK assassination. We've had maybe 15 authors on about that. I've written my own book on the JFK assassination, and I know there's still a lot more to know about that. But I think this is a far wider web involving so many more people. Uh, I really think this is the biggest story of my lifetime. What do you think? Absolutely. And I, and I, I mean this, and I do mean this lightly. Each chapter could be its own movie. There is so much to the story. And the, yeah, like you say, the chilling thing is, I think we're maybe 5% through the entire thing. We've got a hell of a lot more to come out and a lot more to come. Very good. James Robertson, co-author with Dylan Howard and Melissa Cronin. The book is Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales. The podcast is Epstein, Devil in the Darkness. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. We hope you'll come back and visit again soon. Absolutely. Thank you for your support, Jim. God bless. Thank you. Wow, that was great. <laughs> that was incredible. Uh, I'm. I have to tell you, this every week we go into this, uh, it just gives me chills. I mean, folks, if uh, if somehow they say I killed myself, don't believe it. <laughs> That's all I have to say. I don't think I'm important enough for anybody to go after at, at this point in time. But uh, if I mysteriously disappear, uh, listen to the podcast twice. Uh, listen to the replay an extra time. Maybe we've touched on something here. All right. I'm getting a little bit punchy. It's late. Thanks so much for joining us for this special Jeffrey Epstein uh, investigation broadcast. Uh, our thanks to uh, James Robertson and my producer is going to work on getting maybe Dylan Howard for a future broadcast. That will be exciting. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. We'll talk to you after the first of the year. And remember, if it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris Live. We'll talk to you next time.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.